So from verse 12 down to verse 15, there's an expression here. If you want to know how to love each other and what love should look like among you, here they are. Give attention to these commands. But if you'll also remember, I mentioned last week as we were going through chapter 5 and the majority of chapter 5, chapter 5's emphasis was really on the issue of being alert and watchful. And you remember I, I mentioned to you that being watchful is oftentimes connected to the idea of prayer. We see in verse 16... 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22, all of these commands really have to do with how we stand firm in hope. Rejoice always. Instead of being despair, as they were in chapter 4, because they were in despair over those who had died, you should rejoice always. To be watchful, verse 17, you should be praying all the time. You should be giving thanks to God rather than being discouraged with your present circumstances as he mentioned in chapter 5. And we know that there were false prophets giving false prophecies about the day of the Lord. So he obviously tells them in verses 19 through 21, you should be discerning. You should be discerning of prophetic voices. Do you see how all of this unfolds again? It's very clear. It's very clear of what he's doing. In fact, from verse 12 down to verse 22, there are seven different habits that we could say these are seven habits of a highly effective church. And they're all arranged around how you grow in love and how you grow in hope. You grow in love by growing in appreciation of your leaders, verses 12 and 13. You grow in love by growing in patience with each other. In, verses, in verse 14, you grow in love by growing in goodness toward each other in verse 15. You grow in hope and the steadfastness of hope when you grow in joy in verse 16. When you grow in gratitude in verse 18. When you grow in discernment in verses 19 to 22. Here he's simply urging again, grow in love, grow in hope so that you labor in love and you're steadfast in hope. What is interesting is that when Paul begins his discussion of these habits that will cultivate congregational encouragement that drives Christian growth, do you notice that he begins and he ends with a discussion of leadership? Verse 12 is a discussion of leaders, appreciate leaders. Verse 19 through verse 22 equally is a discussion of leaders, listen to what they're teaching you appreciate how leaders lead that's verses 12 and 13 discernment of what leaders teach is in verses 19 to 22 he begins and he ends this final section of exhortation with a discussion about leadership why because as I've said biblically faithful leadership is critical to a congregation's biblically vibrant health poor leaders ego-centered leaders will not drive you toward God they will not drive you into his word. They'll be pleased only when the leader is exalted. And some people are pleased to exalt the leader. It makes them feel good. It makes them feel like they're around somebody who's important. And we like that kind of feeling, but it doesn't lead to biblically faithful growth and health in a church. But that doesn't mean that you disdain leaders because that also would be unhealthy. We have to grow in an appropriate appreciation of church leaders. 
And I've noticed that appreciation of church leaders seems to ebb and flow with every pendulum swinging season of strong leaders and scandalous leaders. You find a strong leader and people rise to appreciate. You find a scandal and they, they rush to disdain. There's lots of illustrations we could point to both in the Bible and in modern day. You probably know them. They probably flood into your mind. You've been around that before. But when we're in the pendulum swing of leadership scandal, which I think we have a lot of that going on today, you begin to hear people decry the need for leadership at all. And I want you to listen for those voices. When leaders begin to fall, especially leaders who've had a very public ministry and they begin to fall, you hear people say, we don't really need these leaders anyway. We are all possessing the Spirit of God, so we really don't need leaders. That's very unhealthy. It's very unhealthy. It's a lot like in, I think it was back in Numbers 12 when Miriam and Aaron decided, you know what, we all have the Spirit. We all can speak for God, not just this Moses guy. That didn't go well for Miriam. Do you remember that? When she broke out in leprosy all over, when God says, no, that's not how you talk about the guys that I put up for leadership. It's not how you treat them. We need to be careful with that. To say we don't need any leadership is not faithful. It's not faithful to the word. And we know if we pay attention to the word, the Bible is replete with illustrations of both good and bad leaders. Scripture is saturated with instruction on how to cultivate good leaders and what to look for in faithful leaders. From the beginning of the Bible, we see that God has called, he's equipped, he's patiently guided and provided for his people through flawed leaders. Adam, flawed leader, but called to lead nonetheless. Abraham, called by God, chapter 12. Flawed leader, chapter 12. Moses, faithful and flawed. David, faithful. But you can't forget his flaws, can you? There are others. Most of the prophets, Joshua, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the 12, all demonstrate qualities of critical leadership. And let's not forget about the whole two books we have in our Bible called The Kings, which emphasize the flaws of most leaders. And don't forget about the books that we have of the Chronicles that actually chronicles many of the good things that Israel's leaders had within them. And all of that in the Old Testament so that when Jesus comes on the scene, you see the majestic form of the perfect leader, don't you? And you see, here's the one that we should look to. All these others pointed toward a leader, but they were flawed. Here's the one who manifests all the characters of leadership quality perfectly. Now, when we come into the New Testament, we, we live in this era now as God's people, as the church, and we are to be led by specific leaders. And just to set the scene for this, I think you could point in the Bible to at least five different kinds of leaders that the Bible points us to, five different offices of leadership within the church. Four of them are enumerated in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. You'll know this verse, he gave some to the church as apostles and prophets 
and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. That's really four different kinds of leadership. Apostles and prophets who came on the scene and their ministry is essentially completed among us because they revealed to us what is in the New Testament. Evangelists correspond to those early apostles because they go into areas where the gospel has not been known and they preach the gospel in those areas just like apostles were doing in the very beginning. Pastors and teachers, one particular leadership person, it corresponds much to the prophets where they're reiterating what has already been revealed. So in this modern era, we have evangelists, or we often call them missionaries, and we have pastors and teachers who plant themselves in local congregations and teach those churches. Now, I tend to think that it is these pastors and teachers that Paul has in mind in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, because he talks about these leaders as those who give you instruction. They labor hard in giving you instruction, which is the very work that the Bible lays out as the work of an elder or an overseer. Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. It's a leadership title, the elders of the church. And he said to them in verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you, listen to these words, overseers to shepherd the church of God. We often call elders pastors. It's just the, the Latin equivalent to shepherds. Paul said to the elders of the Ephesian church, you are to oversee the church. You are overseers. You are to shepherd the church because you're pastors. Elder, overseer, shepherd, that's all one leadership category. They bring the word of God. They shepherd through the scriptures. 1 Peter 5 verse 1, I exhort the elders among you to shepherd the flock, exercising oversight. There's those three words again, shepherd, oversee, the elders. Elders are overseers and shepherds and their primary function is found in the instruction of the word of God and seeing that it is applied to across the church and the church is being overseen under the authority of the word of God. So that's four different categories, apostles and prophets who have finished their work, pastors and evangelists who continue that work. There's another category mentioned in Philippians 1.1 and in 1 Timothy 3 eight and that is the category of deacons they are leaders alongside of the elders of the church and they help to carry out the functions of the church that would cause the elders to be distracted from shepherding the church by the word now again i think in first thessalonians 5 while there are no titles listed here functions are given i think he's zeroing in on those who lead the church as elders shepherds because he talks about teaching and instruction they lead through the word now I would suggest to you that the context that we've been studying in first Thessalonians especially the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5 about the second coming of Christ it drives the need to start the final exhortations with a description of leadership because this church in Thessalonica had been misled they were being misled by people claiming to be prophets and giving a false word 
not leading according to the revealed word about the day of the Lord, and it was disrupting the entire health of the church, what would that cause if you found out that the people who were saying that they were mouthpieces of God were misleading you, you would begin to distrust them, wouldn't you? You would begin to grow in a disdain for virtually all leadership. So when Paul brings correctives to the false leadership that had been given about the day of the Lord, he also has to come back and the first thing he wants to say as he's going to conclude this book is make sure you don't grow in disdain for leaders, make sure you appreciate them. And he gives qualities about true leaders that need to be appreciated so that you would know you're looking for these things so that you would appreciate these leaders well. Don't do a disservice to your soul and cultivate disdain for leaders. Make sure you appreciate them appropriately. The health of the church is connected to it. Now, Just another note before we look at the details here about what Paul is urging regarding the appropriate appreciation of church leaders. The aim of these verses, I alluded to this earlier, is regarding how a congregation will respond to leaders. It's not focused on how leaders should lead. It's asking the church to take an action toward leaders. Did you see that? Now, obviously, leaders will be hearing this. And anyone who is a leader or any who desire to be a leader will hear this and they will hear this as this is what leadership should look like. So it's appropriate for existing and aspiring leaders to listen to this carefully because this defines it. But most important is for you as a church, you say, we don't need to have a lesson on leadership. You're the leader. Why don't you pay attention to that? No, this is written to the flock. This is how the flock pays attention to leadership, what they look for, what they appreciate, what they value. Everything here should wake up existing leaders. This is what we need to give our attention to. It should really urge within aspiring leaders. We better make sure that this is what we're aspiring to. But for everyone in the flock, are you paying attention to this? Because your spiritual health rests on this. So these two verses that we'll look at this morning really encourage a congregation to appreciate the men that God establishes as shepherds among them. So how are we to appropriately appreciate those that God has established to lead the church? Well, let's, let's unpack this. We are going to see here that there's three activities that will grow an appropriate appreciation for church leaders. Three activities that will grow an appropriate appreciation of church leaders. They are significant, <clears throat> and yet they are simple. You need to think on them, not in just in what they mean, but in how your heart is resonating with these three activities. Do you pursue these activities? Do you apply these activities? Think on that as we walk through them. Here's the first activity that should grow an appropriate appreciation of church leaders. First, recognize your leaders. Recognize your leaders. Verse 12, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Appreciate is the word that you find in the New American Standard Version. Appreciate. 
Now that is a word that actually we have heard many, many times in this book. It's actually the word to know, to know. And this book has had that word, that phrase used all over it. All the way back when we encountered this book in chapter 1, verse 4, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. Verse 5, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know. How many times did we see that phrase, just as you know, in chapter 2? It was in verse 1, verse 2, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11. We saw it in chapter 3, verse 3, and chapter 3, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 2, chapter 5, verse 2, as you know, to know. That's what this word appreciate is, to know. Literally, this is saying, brethren, know your leaders. Know your leaders. Now, I don't think he means by that, just get to know them, like know their name. And he doesn't mean by that, just get close to them. He doesn't mean to know them in some personal way. He means to know them publicly. To appreciate, that word I think has the sense of an internal quality, appreciating them internally. But this word actually has the idea of something more external. Appreciate them publicly. That's why I give it the title, recognize them. It was used in this way in 1 Corinthians 16, 18, of leaders. Saying of certain men that they had refreshed my spirit, Paul says, and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. Know such men. Publicly recognize such men. That's the idea. Know them publicly. And so we say by this, leaders are to be publicly recognized. You should recognize them formally. I think that the Bible emphasizes that a congregation has a responsibility, the whole church, the members of the church have a responsibility to publicly affirm and recognize who their leaders are. Why is the instruction given in 1 Timothy chapter 3 on the qualifications of an elder and of a deacon? So that the church can publicly recognize such men. Why in Titus chapter 1 when Paul says establish elders in all of these churches does he give a list of character qualifications so that the people can recognize these men who meet these qualifications should serve the church. In fact we see that done many times. You know how the early church recognized publicly leaders of the church? We see examples of that in the life of Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 14 When Timothy was recognized by the other elders because they laid their hands on him, it was an Old Testament image of transferring an affirmation from God to this individual as a public recognition. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, there's the warning, do not lay hands on anyone too quickly. What does that mean? Do not publicly recognize someone as a leader through that act of laying on of hands too quickly. They have to show themselves to be leaders. That was a public way the church recognized leaders was the laying on of hands. We should think through that even in what we do to recognize leaders publicly. You should recognize those leaders not just formally but also personally. And I mean by that you are publicly acknowledging an official position in the church. That's why we give titles such as elder, overseer, or deacon 
or shepherd or pastor. It's a public recognition. You personally recognize these people God has called to be leaders. You also, you also should recognize their gifting and their calling. They demonstrate a life that is commensurate with what the scripture advocates and they have the gifts and abilities to teach the church and instruct the church in the word of God. If a man can't teach the church, he shouldn't be trying to lead the church. Those who possess these qualities, these are the men who should be publicly recognized, appreciated as leaders. In fact, notice something interesting in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12. We request you, brethren, that you appreciate, notice this, those who, and then he gives three qualities, diligently labor, have charge over you and the Lord and give you instruction. There's three qualities. In the Greek, all three of those qualities are governed by one definite article saying that they are all one person. Each leader should be this kind of person. They should be diligently laboring. They should all have charge over you and they should all be giving you instruction. Those are the qualities of leadership. You should recognize that. That's gifting. That's character. It's how you find those who should lead. And let me just urge you, church, that is your responsibility before God. It is your responsibility to pay attention to who is a leader among you. It's not just up to the elders to appoint other elders. Without your affirmation, the church must see these qualities and affirm them to be so. That's your responsibility. Recognize them. Now, what is it specifically that we're going to recognize among these elders, pastors, and overseers in the church? Three things I want to point out. Just three areas to recognize. The first area, recognize how they work. Recognize how they work. How do they work? What does the text say in verse 12? They are those who diligently labor among you. Diligently labor is one word in the Greek, kapiao. It's a term that really means to give it everything you have. It was used in the first century world of the ancient Greek wrestlers who would leave it, as we say modern in modern terminology, they leave it all on the mat. They give it everything they have. Everything is expended. They diligently labor. They work to the point that they're absolutely exhausted. It's what this idea is here. Paul often used this term to describe his own ministry work as labor. That's why it's given that word, labor. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Or when he described his ministry in Colossians 1, 29, for this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power. I labor, that's my ministry. I work hard at this. The noun form of this verb is used in this letter of 1 Thessalonians to describe how Paul acted when he was with them. In 1 Thessalonians 2.9, you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship. You know how we worked, night and day. You saw our labors. This term should also describe the kind of people who we all in the church should submit ourselves to. 1 Corinthians 16, 16. 
be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and the labors. 1 Timothy 5.17 speaks of elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor, they work hard at preaching and teaching. They labor in that work of preaching and teaching. 2 Timothy 2.6, the hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. What's that an illustration of? Of those who are leading who should glean from their work. That's how a man should work. He should labor. He should not be lazy. He should not be given to wasting time. When the souls of God's people are at stake, there isn't time to waste. When sin is as pervasive as it is, it will take everything in you. I have noticed in my years of serving the church as a pastor, I have noticed that people do not schedule their problems with sin according to your convenience. They just don't. It happens. And you say, but wait a minute, I'm tired. It's as if God says, but sin is there. And the sheep have needs. And the word needs to be present. Because it's not. And their spiritual health is on the line. And if this is your calling, this is your work. You don't, you don't get to have five days on and two days off. Or however we try to define work today. It requires diligent labor. We can't be lazy at the work. What do you look for? When you look for someone who's going to be an elder in the church, you look for those who are already showing hard work, diligent effort in the word to apply the word to the lives of the people of the church. It's hard work. Matter of fact, it's hard work just to understand the Bible. It really is. With all the stuff that's being written, it is a hard job just to tackle the word and then come and deliver it to the people every single week, let alone get into the work of counseling and discipling and overseeing that the whole church is moving along the rails of the word. It's hard, and it should be. It is. We're battling against sin in our own flesh. All of us are battling against that. And it makes it a diligent effort that is required. So that's what you're looking for. Do they work hard? There's another area that we're to recognize. Not just how they work. Recognize, secondly, what they are responsible for. Recognize what they're responsible for. They not only diligently labor among you notice the next phrase they have charge over you in the Lord this is an upsetting phrase to too many people they have charge over you what does that mean they have charge some of you are like no this is America nobody has charge over me I'm my own man this is a place where I lead myself it's a real man leads himself leads others Nobody has charge over me. Well, that wouldn't be biblically faithful. Now, the, the word to have charge over here is one word in the Greek, and we've seen it used a number of times, and it, it is the word prohistemi. Histemi means to stand. Put the, the term in front of it, pro, to stand in front of. It's someone who stands in front to lead. 
like a shepherd who leads the flock. Shepherds in the ancient world didn't drive the flock. They didn't stand behind the flock and drive the flock. They stood in front of the flock and they led the flock. They provide by example. They go first. They lead out. They're leaders. They lead you. It's the word that is used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, of a man who wants to be an overseer in the church has to be one who manages his own household. Manage means lead. He has to lead his household. Because if he doesn't lead his household, how will he then lead the church? Because that's his calling, to lead the church. 1 Timothy 3.12 says the same of deacons. They must be husbands of only one wife and good leaders of their children. It's a word describing the work of an elder. 1 Timothy 5.17, the, the elders who rule well. The word rule is the word lead. They lead you. They stand before you and lead. It's a gift that's given to men in the church as well. Romans chapter. 12 verse 8 describes spiritual gifts and one of those is he who leads that's a gift given by the grace of God to certain ones to apply in the life of the church now leaders have to be careful with how they lead and in what they lead a leader a church leader does not have the right to tell you what to do in every area of life what they have a right to do is explain what the Bible says about all the areas of life. So the leadership is not in me saying you need to do what I tell you to do. The leader's role is saying what are you doing to bring yourself under the authority of God's word? We must lead through explaining our true leader's instruction. What is our accountability to God? No leader is really leading if he's just telling you what his expectations are. Those expectations have to be explicitly tied to the scripture. So then we know that this leader is leading us in God, toward God. It's the leader's responsibility. It's the sphere of how we lead in the Lord. They have charge over you in the Lord. Not just in every preference you might have, but in those things that the Lord dictates and the Lord has revealed and if the Lord gifts men to do that then that means that we need that gift in our life they are responsible leaders are responsible to lead you in the word of God that doesn't just mean from the pulpit but friends there's going to be times when we sit down one-on-one -on -one and have a conversation about what's going on in your life and how you're responding to the word and when we open the scripture and say here's what the Lord says about that here's how we should think about that that should influence how we feel about that we are then put in face-to-face -face conflict or subjection to God himself and we're leading you up to where you could see yourself in front of God to say, now will, will you submit yourself, not to me as an individual, but to what God in his word says. And we need tools that lead us in that direction. So you need to recognize those men who are working hard in the word because they're leading you in the word. They're responsible to lead you in the word. Hebrews 13, 17 says, they will give an account for your soul. And how they lead in the word. There's a third area of recognition. Recognize how they work. What they're responsible for. Third, recognize what they do. 
what do they do? You see it at the end of verse 12? They give you instruction. There's a number of words in the New Testament, the original Greek, that describe instruction. This is not the typical word for teaching. This is a word that means admonishment. Admonishment, nutheteo. It's not just that they tell you what the Bible says. They actually urge you to do something with it, to respond to it. You must respond to what God says. You must admonish. It is the word that we'll see used in verse 14. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Literally, the word nutheteo means to put in mind, to put in someone's mind. It's as if their life is moving in the wrong direction because they're thinking the wrong way and you have to put in their mind the right way so that they begin to correct their life and live according to it. It's the work that all of us are called to do with each other, by the way. Romans 15, 14 says, Concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. You are able to do that. You know the word. You will encounter one another in the scriptures. You should admonish each other. Apply the word. Pray the word. Submit to the word. Know the word. It's what we do with each other. We do it when we sing, actually. It's Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what we're doing on the Lord's Day morning. When we're singing to the Lord, we're also singing to admonish each other. Trust God. Turn from sin. See the value of Christ. That's what we're doing in our, sing our singing to each other. We're admonishing. But particularly, God gives this responsibility to leaders. It's what they do. Their primary role is not to plan events. Their primary role is to give us admonishment, to instruct us, to lead us in the word. We need to recognize how these men work, what they're responsible for, what they do. Do you pray for this? Could you make this a part of regular prayer that God would raise up in our midst constant generations of new people who love the word so much they will diligently labor and see the responsibility and provide this kind of helpful instruction? Pray for that. We should look for these kinds of men in our church. We should look to affirm them, affirm them publicly. Be on the lookout for Men who can serve the church as elders in the church because you see these qualities in their life. It means that you're in a position too where you welcome this into your life. You welcome admonishment. You welcome leadership. You welcome this kind of direction in life. Do you encourage these men when they are working hard and you see the labors and and listen, I think I am most honored to work with the elders in this church, most of whom are not employed by this church, but give hours and hours of time, not just to overseeing the details of administration, but giving hours of their time to invest in the flock themselves personally. Hours and hours of time. They come home and their wives see it on their face, not all is well. And those men can't tell everything 
You should know that. These elders aren't going home and telling their wives everything that they hear about what's going on because they know their wives are not responsible to come in this room and bear all of that responsibility. Do you encourage those brothers as they do that work and give their time to that? Find yourself taking intentional time to obey what is taught and you will recognize those kinds of leaders. Recognize them. That's the first activity that grows in appropriate appreciation. Recognize your leaders. Secondly, honor your leaders. Honor your leaders. You see it in verse 13? You don't just appreciate them, but you also esteem them very highly in love because of their work. You esteem them very highly in love because of their work. This is the language of honor. Leadership is a place of honor and should be shown an appropriate kind of honor. How do we honor them? Well, I I think it's obvious you should honor them intentionally. It's what the word esteem means to regard them. It literally means to think of them, to think on them. It's an intentional thing you do. You think on them in a certain way. You have to think on them in an honorable way. Now, this is not what the leader demands. The leader does not come up and say, now you recognize me, you esteem me, you honor me. No one wants to esteem that kind of person. It's what the flock does as they see them diligently laboring and providing biblical leadership and biblical admonishment. Then you esteem them, you think on them in a high way. And you have to choose to think on leaders that way, especially when leaders disappoint you. It's not wrong to confront when leaders fall and when leaders sin because they will. We are not the Lord Jesus. We're being conformed just like everybody else to the image of the Lord Jesus. So there are going to be times when leaders fail you. But that's not an excuse then to say I'm going to disregard and I'm going to show no honor. Sometimes it's just like children who They see their parents' flaws, but their parents still have to give instruction. And because of their position as parents, they still have to be honored as parents. It's the same thing with leadership. Leaders aren't here to manipulate. They're not here to control. They point to God's word and you honor them. You honor them intentionally. Honor your leaders. Secondly, you honor them significantly. Honor them significantly. That's found in that phrase, very highly very highly you esteem them very highly a word often translated as more abundantly or most earnestly earnestly abundantly honor them esteem them you say now wait a minute what, what do you mean by this does this mean that we've got to create a bobblehead for every elder and hand it to them kind of the way you esteem people today isn't it you create a bobblehead I guess how you value their ministry will determine how you value them if you value the word of God intensely you will value those who intensely teach the word you will you esteem them very highly that means you go above general esteem this is high esteem because of what these men are doing you honor them significantly third honor them appropriately 
You honor them because of their work, in love because of their work. You love the work they do, so you love those men and you esteem them because they are those God has given to shepherd your souls, give you the word, point you in the right direction, and you want that, you love that because becoming like Christ means everything to you as a Christian. So it's an appropriate kind of honor and esteem. Sometimes their work is not going to leave you warm and fuzzy. It might be a time in which they've instructed you and you've had to think about what they've said and maybe it's confronted you and you've not been real happy with what they've been saying to you and you, you're, you're, you don't want that kind of exposure from the word and there's a leader who's applying this to you and it does not feel good. Esteem them highly because of that work because it's the scalpel of God's word digging out the cancer of the soul. They labor in love through the instruction and admonishment of the word so you love them for that work. You honor them. 1 Timothy 5.17 says those who work hard at preaching and teaching, the way you honor them actually uses the word honor, time, in a way that describes financial remuneration. You honor them to pull off all the other responsibilities so they can give all their time and attention to that work. That's why we pay some leaders because we see their giftedness. We want them set aside and unencumbered by other things so they can give more diligent labor to these things. It's not a right. It's a privilege that the church bestows on those who show diligent labor in the word. So honor them. Recognize them. Honor them. Last, number three. The third activity that will grow in appropriate appreciation, respond to your leaders. Respond to them. Where do we see that? Look at the last phrase of verse 13 that you may think doesn't really have much to do with leaders, but it has everything to do with leaders. Live in peace with one another. This is how you respond to leaders. What are leaders telling you to do? What are they instructing you to do? Not just how to personally appropriate the word, but every time you're personally appropriating the word, it touches someone else, doesn't it? We don't live in isolation of others. We live in community with others. The reason he's telling this church to live at peace is because it is easy to become embattled with one another, live contrary to one another, live in disharmony with one another and the word brings us back into harmony. How many times have you heard a counselor point you to Ephesians chapter four that talks about being kind and not slandering and forgiving as God has forgiven you and a leader keeps pointing you back there because this is how you live at peace with each other. You respond to their ministry by applying it to not just your personal life but your interpersonal life. Respond to them. This is so instructive to us because every time you live faithfully before God, you will live peacefully with others. If you are applying the word to your own life, it will be seen in how you live peacefully with each other. If you value the leaders who lead you, then apply what they're teaching you. Apply it to all the relationships that surround you, your spouse, we need to apply the word of God in the way we live with our spouse. We live at peace with each other because we respond to instruction to our children. 
in fellowship with the members of this church, we apply the word in how we live with each other. We've made a commitment to do that. We rehearse it in every members meeting of how we live with each other. We apply the word in the way we conduct ourselves towards those who are outside the faith so that we don't bring any shame on Christ. You want to know how to respond to your leaders? Resolve interpersonal problems biblically. Does anybody come to mind right now? Respond by resolving that conflict biblically. Love Christ as your priority and you will respond to your leaders. Apply what is taught personally and you're responding to your leaders. Pursue what is taught interpersonally. You will live in peace with each other and respond to your leaders. Allow no division in your attitude or your attitude of relationships and toward people. Refuse to disparage anyone in the flock and you will then respond to your leaders. Cultivate hospitality with the flock and you will respond to those who are teaching you. Disciple each other. Be discipled by others. That's responding to the word. Remember, this church in Thessalonica had the labor of love among them. Paul says, I see you have the labor that comes from love among you. You have people who are laboring in the word over you. So how are you responding to that? How would you appropriately appreciate the people that God has established as leaders in your life? Recognize them. Honor them. Respond to them. Your spiritual health is on the line for that. Do you see that? If they represent God's word, your use of God's word as it is explained to you is where your spiritual health is lying. This is how we grow our appreciation for leaders. And I want to say, I, I believe in, in my time here, uh, I, I say this regularly. I had someone from a former church reach out and, and just touch base with us and and they, they're asking, what, how's it going in your church? You've, you've been there a long time. and I've served here longer than I've served anywhere else by a number of years. And it's such a joy because this is a church who loves the word and they love those who teach the word. Not just myself, but I see that love expressed to all the leaders of this church in such healthy ways. That, that's encouraging. It's fun to come and talk about the Bible with people who love the word of God. And people who come and say, I'm struggling with this. Help me apply this. That doesn't happen everywhere. It doesn't happen everywhere. So praise God for what he's done here. Let's appreciate that. Let's thank God for that. And as Paul says, let's grow in what we know. Let's do it and excel still more. Let's pray together.